morning, like you to go with me to Second uh, Timothy, the fourth chapter, and we will be looking this morning at the seventh, uh, I believe, through the ninth verse. We'll look at that just for a minute. Second Timothy four, verse six. For I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I thought about Chris and Susan and the family going through uh, security at the airport, setting their wedding for their flight to be called. And that's kind of where Paul is. Paul's at a place where what's about to happen in his life, he is ready. He has been arrested. He has been in jail. He's about to be beheaded. Scholars claim that when the Apostle Paul, was pla- his head was placed on the chopping block, he began to sing in tongues. And when the head was removed from the body, eyewitnesses say that when his head hit the basket, his mouth was still moving in tongues. How crazy is that? He knew what was about to take place. He was warned three times not to go to Jerusalem. He went anyway because he felt like God had given him a mandate, something he was supposed to do. So now he's at a place where the execution date has been established. He's aware of it, and here's what he says in the closing moments of his life. For I am ready to be offered. I think about my 85-year-old mom who told my dad yesterday that she wanted to die. My parents have had a great life together, 66 years of marriage. Uh, I've never seen my dad smack my mom. I've seen my mom smack my dad. (laughs) I've never seen my dad smack my mom. They're a precious couple. If you ever get to spend time, they're so rich. Dad spends three to four hours a day studying Revelation. He loves prophecy. Uh, Mom spends three to four hours a day doing jigsaw puzzles and crossword puzzles, and they have a good life. They're in a good place. Their finances are in order. But mom just told dad, I don't, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through what I'm going through. So I think about, I think about mom as now she's actually glimpsing or, or embracing death, what's going to happen after she dies. And she's been serving the Lord pretty much her entire life. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearance. What a powerful word. I'm going to ask Gene, uh, if he will, to take these first three chairs, and if you will just put them in front and uh, face the congregation. And uh, I'd like to ask a, a question this morning. If you were told by your doctor or by your specialist or uh, by, by an authority that you had one month to live, one month to live, what would you do different? What would you do? What would be your priority? What would be your mindset? I'm going to ask Bailey and Josh and Carmen to join me in these three chairs. Bailey. Josh and Carmen to join me in these three chairs. And Bailey, we're going to let you go last so you don't feel threatened or intimidated. Josh, we're going to ask you to go first. If the three of you received a death sentence, if you were told 
you had one 30 days, 30 days from now, your life would be over as you know it here on earth. What would you do different? What would you do? What would be your priorities? What would you want to take care of? What would you do in the next 30 days to get ready for your departure from this earth? Josh, we're going to let you go first. As I've gotten older, there are things that I cannot repair in the past, and if I had 30 days to repair those, um, I don't know if I would do anything different, but what I would change instead of laboring for myself with my own hands, I would do my best to give back to, not that I have not given back to others in the past, but I would do more. Um, you know, we spend 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 hours a day working for the man. I want to spend those last 30 days working for my father. And I think, and I, honestly, guys, I think that's what's important. We've, we've heard it this morning. Uh, we should have heard it in our hearts and our praise. Um, the last, se- I'm, I'm going to say this, I'm going to quit. The last several weeks, you know, this is my daughter that sits here. She's uh, on the uh, praise and worship team, and just to watch, one of the reasons I would not change my past is because I watched her up there on the stage, and I watched how she worships God, and I must have done something right. We are doing something right, but we have, God gave me a word uh, in a conversation, I'm not going to get into it, but we have got to stop defending our faults, our failures, and the things that we're going through. Quit defending them and just decide to receive. Do you mind if I share that right right fast? Really quick. Before a football game, you have a coin. I don't have a coin in my pocket. I don't carry change, but you have the opportunity. It is asked. They flip the coin. Who wants to receive and who wants to defend? Well, I'm asking you this morning, if you had 30 days, Would you flip the coin this time and decide to receive and quit defending our past? You're you're defending things that will keep you stuck. You're defending things that will keep your children stuck. We ask for financial blessings. We have to save our children. But, guys, we're reminiscing in in the defense to continue defending ourselves, defending our actions. And God says, I don't care what you did in the past. I'm not concerned with what your plans are to get you towards your future or, or any of these things. All you have to do is just, each time they cross that end zone, what is the first thing that's done? God says, if you'll just hold your arms up and receive, let me kick each one of those blessings through your upright, and that is all he wants us to do. So my, next, my last 30 days would be towards my children and doing God's work instead of working for the man. Live a life that has purpose and destiny and that has meaning. And just love loving my family, loving them. I'm going to keep it short and sweet, but I would spend more time with family and friends and just get closer to God and just love on him and love on his people. Thank you.
Can we give them a hand clap of appreciation? I put them on the spot. What would you do? What what would change? What 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 would your focus be? What would your priorities be? What were some of the things that you would want to do? And I want to talk this morning for just a few minutes, and I promise you it is just a few minutes on living a life with no regrets. Living a life with no regrets. I'm not sure what age he just turned. I think it was 94 or 95. But Billy Graham, who has touched the world in his ministry, in his books, in his conferences, he's literally touched the world. When Billy Graham was asked, what would you do different? If you had to do it all over again, what would be some of your priorities? What would be some of the directions of your life? And he didn't even bat an eye. He simply said, I wish I would have prayed more. I wish I would have prayed more. And what a powerful insight to a man who has lived his whole life for the Lord, a man that has touched the world in his ministry through his books and through television, through radio, and through conferences. Billy Graham at one time drew uh, the largest crowds in the world when he ministered. Thousands and thousands of people would go. I remember at a very young age, I went to a Billy Graham uh, crusade, and I remember at the end, he gave an altar call, and there were hundreds. There were hundreds that went to the altar and gave their heart to the Lord. I get to think, what about a, what a powerful man, a powerful testimony. There is a character in Pastor Rhonda and my life that uh, we admire. Uh, you've heard us reference several times. I think Pastor Rhonda has preached an entire message concerning Schindler's List, but Oscar Schindler was a very wealthy uh, um, entrepreneur. He had a uh, clothes sewing factory uh, during World War II. He was blessed by the Germans. He had favor with the German camp. And uh, when Oscar Schindler realized what was happening to the Jews in the Nazi concentration camps, Auschwitz and others, uh, he began to actually remove Jews from where they were to a place of safety so they would not be arrested and uh, they would not be murdered, they would not be assassinated, and he spent his wealth, he spent his time, and uh, there was a gathering a little later in life where, how many, Pastor Rhonda was it, that he actually, it was over 900, it was almost 900, and they all met, uh, several hundred met to just honor him and to uh, thank him for his efforts, and uh, Oscar Schindler, when he saw what he had done and saw what he touched, his attitude was, I could have done more. I could have, I could have sold this watch. I could have sold my car. I could have, you know, I, I, I appreciate that mindset. I appreciate that attitude. But I want to be at a place that when I, however I go, whenever I go, uh, whatever means that I make heaven my home, I would really like to look back and realize that I lived a life of no regrets. I would like to think that, I did everything God called me to do. I would like to think that I was a good husband, a good father, a good friend. I would like to think that the, the, the goals and the challenges of life, that I met them with full intensity and full energy, and I'm not sure that that is the case. Uh, if I had 30 days to live, I would probably want to catch the world trophy bass, kill the world trophy deer, and then maybe spend some time with my children. Maybe that would be the... Uh, that would be the, uh, here's what I don't want to do. 
I don't want to get at the end of the road and stand before God and realize I could have done more. I could have, I dropped the ball, I was lazy, I procrastinated, I wasn't motivated, I wasn't. And that's what about being a part of the body is all about, is being motivated to pursue the dreams, the goals, the destiny that God has provided us with. And when I think of that, I think of, I think of what Paul said there in 2 Timothy, I have run this race with patience. I have fought this fight. We've been talking the last couple of days or weeks rather about the spiritual warfare about the attack against us. attack first of all against our mind a lot of the battle is in the mind the enemy tries to operate through depression and fear and loneliness and low self-esteem and a lot of that is in the mind and a lot of it certainly is in our environment where we fit in how our environment is affecting us i am aware that uh, this tuesday uh, some things are going to happen that could literally affect uh, the rest of our life, literally affect the rest of our life. And we thought that we've seen horrible things with Roe versus Wade and same-sex marriages. I don't know that things could get any worse, but there's a possibility if the, if the if different people are elected, there's a possibility that we could have radical, liberal Supreme Court judges that would uh, allow anything to happen in life for us to live our life and, and, to, and to do whatever we want to do. And that's scary. And we all have a vote. And I hope that everybody votes and, and, and demonstrates their effort to make a difference. Either way, aren't you glad that God is in control? And aren't you glad that God knows the final ballot? And God knows whoever is in leadership, none of his promises are going to fade. None of his truths are going to diminish, but he's still going to be there and he's still going to be with us. God is aware of tough times and knows how to help us and to sustain us through those tough times. But when I think about living a life of no regret, I was reading some of the Apostle Paul where Paul said that Demas has forsaken me because he chose the riches of this world. And then he said, all I've got is Titus, but send John Mark because he's profitable to me. And I think about the people that Paul surrounded himself with that helped him become what he what he was and what he did. The Apostle Paul is given credit for writing almost half of the New Testament. Uh, Apostle Paul was caught into heaven. He actually died. The breath left his body. He was stoned to death, left, left as dead, and uh, caught a glimpse of heaven and uh, didn't comment a whole lot. He probably could have written an entire book on what he saw in heaven, but all he said was, eyes not seen and ears not heard, neither entered into the imagination of the heart of man, the thing that God has prepared for them. And so we know that heaven is a place that God has prepared for us. And the Apostle Paul could have elaborated more, but John the Beloved had a revelation on the Isle of Patmos and began to talk about heaven, begin to talk about the last days, begin to talk about eternity. And our life as we know it here upon earth is simply a candle compared to the sun, is simply an ant compared to a dinosaur. When you when you grasp and comprehend the fact that you are going to live forever, how scary is that? I mean, just that thought of surviving, existing, literally forever. Our earth as we know it is 6,000 years old. That's simply a drop in the bucket compared to what God has promised us with. And we are told that there are things that we can do here on earth that promise and prophesy a, 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 an, an, an end, a, 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 a purpose, a plan, even after we die 
and go to heaven. And Jesus made the statement, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And there we see obviously the work of the church as we take care of the widow, as we take care of the orphan, as we minister to those that are in jail and those that are in the a jail of addiction or those that are in the jail of depression or those that are in the jail of bipolar. There's a whole lot of jails that don't have necessarily to do with bars and chains. I think a lot of us, if we're not careful, we will allow ourselves to be arrested, falsely accused, falsely charged, falsely condemned, and walk in that condemnation because we don't know who we are in Christ. And when I think about the life of no regrets, I think about three areas of my life that I believe are there to help me to accomplish what God has wanted me to accomplish. And those three areas are obviously God. That would probably be your first guess as to who we put in our life to help us. The second would be friends. And the third would be enemies, that God can influence us, friends, enemies. Those three areas of our life can be used to help us become what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. And when I think about God's involvement in our life, uh, I preached a message years ago uh, just entitled, uh, Can God? God Can, and probably Gene could get up and quote it. But when you think about some of the things that God has already done, he turned a well into a motel to make accommodations for an evangelist, Jonah. God put an air conditioning unit in a fiery furnace to take care of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God used a 16-year-old boy with a drugstore slingshot to kill a 13-foot giant. God blessed the womb of a 90-year-old woman unable to have children to bring forth the seed of the Jew and to birth the Isaac. There's so many things as you look in the Word of God that God has already done. So his track record says he's here to help us. He's here to bless us. I wrote down 12 things that God wants to do in your life, and I will not spend more than uh, 15 to 20 seconds on each one of them. But know that the Word of God declares, if God be for us, who can be against us? And there are, there are things that are against us, but they're not overwhelming to the degree that they're going to hurt us or harm us. Do I have a friend in the house? Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. What a powerful statement. Paul said, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in heaven. And so when God speaks something in your life, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. If it's God's agenda, God will finance the, the purpose and the ministry he has sent you forth. And sometimes it might seem to be overwhelming. Sometimes it might be ludicrous. Sometimes some of the crazy things that God asks us to do, but God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And it really doesn't matter how old we are. Abraham was 100 when he birthed Isaac. When we look at Caleb, Caleb was 80 when he went and killed the giant and took back his mountain. Moses had been in hiding for 40 years, 80 years of age before he stepped out and became what God wanted him to do and what God wanted him to be. And when I think about years, Noah was 500 years old before he built the ark. So don't tell, don't tell me you're too old. And then I think about the ministry of children in the Bible, that throughout the Bible there's been a David. And throughout the Bible there's been a Daniel. And throughout the Bible there have been children that have made a difference in the lives of others simply because God blessed them and shined down on them. So don't ever say, I'm too young. The Bible says that no man despise your youth. Don't ever say, I'm too old. 
Don't say, well, my past, I've been to jail, I've been on drugs, I've been divorced, I've been bankrupt, I've been all of that in a bag of chips. And as you look through the Word of God, it seems like God always uses people with character flaws. God always uses people with history. God always uses people with bad past. And God has the ability to turn that around. As I look back over my life, would I have done some things differently? Probably, yes, I would have. But I don't regret where I've been and what I've done because God brings people into my life that I can relate to. I can relate to the drug addict. I can relate to the alcoholic. I can relate to being divorced. I can relate to being bankrupt. I can, I can relate to being told I had a lifelong illness. I can relate to having a daughter that hope, had open-heart surgery. And I look back at all of those storms and all those things that happened. Would I have wanted them to go different? Absolutely. But do I regret they went the way they did? No. When I share my testimony, I don't like that person that I was, but God did not leave me there in that blood, did not leave me there in that field, but God lifted me up and set me on a rock, put a new song in my mouth, and it's a song that blesses and touches others. So there's no regrets of where I've been or what I've done. Now, I don't want to, a year from now, stand and say there's regrets that I didn't do in 2017, what God called me to do. But right now, I believe my testimony is what God has given me to defeat the enemy because the enemy does not want you to know that you can be clean 36 years. The enemy does not want you to know that God can heal your marriage, that God can heal your children, that God can turn your finances around. The enemy doesn't want you to know that. And the enemy would like to shut down your testimony as you are a life and as you are a light to somebody else. Well, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. Twelve things that you need to know about God, twelve things that God wants for you. And the first on that list is happiness, the happiness that you deserve. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. There are only two reasons people medicate, for the high and for the low. They put, they put meth, cocaine in their body to get that high. That's the joy of the Lord. And they take quaaludes and, and hydros and heroin to get that mellow, that peace that passeth all understanding. And God puts those two things in you. They're buttons that God wants to push. God wants you to be happy. Look at somebody say, God wants me to be happy. And I probably stopped messing with God's plan because I have a tendency to be so discouraged and so distressed and so frustrated. And when you realize who you are and who you belong to, and we'll conclude with that, when you realize the effort that God made to get you to where you're at right now and the efforts that God is going to continually to make, the steps of a righteous man are ordered, ordained, and orchestrated by the Lord. God speaks it, God ordains it, and God sings to it. And right now you have a heavenly Father looking over you in Zephaniah 3 and 17. Is that a joyous choir I hear? No, it's the Lord himself exalting over you in happy song. Right now God's got a little melody. God God's got a little lullaby. When, when uh, Skyler comes around, I always do the Barney thing. I won't do it for you tonight, uh, today, because I don't have that great, that great of a voice. But there's always little, and it seems like, is that my soundtrack queued up for me to sing Rise Again? I wasn't concluding, but I love the music. I love the thought, Keith. That, Keith, is that your way of telling me, okay, your 15 minutes is up. It's time to sit down and shut up. God wants you happy. I remember that little song that has just come out lately. I forgot who sings it, but it's, it's a cute little t tune. 
about being happy. God wants you happy. The joy of the Lord. And you know, you know what is uh, might be uh, earth shaking news to you. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be happy. The uh, scientists have determined it's easier to smile than to frown. And God put that smile on your face, and God wants you happy. The second thing you need to know is that God loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When you have children and when you have grandchildren and you begin to operate in that love, then you begin to kind of identify the kind of love that God has for you. A single man can never really grasp the depth of the love that Jesus has for him until he gets married. And when you're married and you're a bride and you love the bride the way that Christ loved the church and you love the bride the way that you're supposed to love the bride, then you begin to realize God's love for you. When you have that little child, nine out of ten children are ugly. When they're born, their faces are scrunched. They're red. They're ugly. They burp. They do all kinds of things and other parts of their body. There's nothing that we would think that's beautiful about them. But if you let anybody, hello, say anything about our, our baby's baby pictures, that's a good way to get hurt. And the spirit, of, the spirit of slap and the spirit of a crowbar upside your head. Can anybody relate? And that love, that bond, that, that where you say, I would lay down my life for my child in a minute. I would do whatever whatever I need to do to make my child in, in a minute. And, and if you, those of you that experience that, you can relate to that kind of love. Pastor Rhonda mentioned love Wednesday night. Let me give you my definition of the word love that God has for us. The desire and delight in another's highest good, regardless of personal cost or sacrifice to oneself. Isn't that a great definition? And that's how much God loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave his son. That's how much he loves you. When I think about confidence, the Bible says this is the confidence that we ask, have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know he heareth us, we know that we have the petitions that we desire in him. God wants you confident. God wants you to begin to declare over you the things that God says. You are the apple of his eye. You are his bright and morning star. God thinks you're all that. Look at somebody and say, God thinks you're all that. And a whole case of chips. A whole case of chips. The, th the fourth thing that God wants you to know that he wants you to have in your life is honesty. Someone asked me a few years ago, what, happened, what happens if I'm wrong? There is no God. There is no heaven. There was no, there was no redemptive power of the cross. What if I'm wrong? Okay, let me think about that for a minute. 50, 60, 70, 80 years of pretty good health. 50, 60, 70 years of helping somebody else. 50, 60, 70 years of walking in the Beatitudes and walking in the commandments, that's what I have gained if I'm wrong. If I'm right, I have gained heaven and all that heaven is and all that God promises eternity is if I'm right. Now, let me ask you a question. What if you're wrong? What if you believe there is no God, there is no plan of salvation, there is no heaven? What will you lose? The Bible said, what should it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul. There's times in life where you need to start being honest with yourself. And if you're not where you want to be, there is a race you can run. There's a war you can fight. There's a battle you can enter and you can be involved in the things that God wants you involved in. 
The fifth thing that God wants you to know that he has towards you is loyalty. Loyalty. As the captain is the last one to abandon the ship that is sinking, God has promised to be faithful to you, to be consistent to you, to be loyal to you. Let me tell you something. That's one quality that's very rare. If you die at the end of your life, you have five friends that were loyal to you, you've done well. You've done well. Is it the, the, the net usually is very small. The circle is really very small of the ones that stay there through the storm, stay there through the thick and thin, and no matter how bad it got, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Aren't you glad that we have that promise in him? Acceptance. God accepts you exactly the way you are. You don't have to have a tummy tuck. You don't have a facelift. You don't do Botox. You don't have to have fingernails, toenails, any 16-penny nails. You don't, you don't have to do anything else but just be what you are because God loves you and accepts you just the way you are. God is a God of restoration. I'm reminded of a guy that gets the old car found in an abandoned barn. And the, the car is rusted, the car, the rats have got in, the squirrel, they've eaten the upholstery, they've eaten the wires, the motor is trash, the transmission's fallen out, all the, flat, all the tires are flat, the rims have rust on them, the doors are rusting out, but somebody will look at that wreck, and they don't see that wreck, but they can see what that wreck could be. And that's exactly how God treats you. He sees you not for the wreck you are or the wreck you were, or the wreck that you once were, God does not see that. God sees you the way he wants you to be, complete, healthy, whole, restored. He is the God of restoration. Do I have a friend in the house? God is a God of security. There's some things, and husbands do not realize, but to a wife, security is the most important relationship in a marriage. The fact that there's a roof over her head, the fact that there's food in the ice box refrigerator, the fact that there's a job bringing in income, there's just something that will settle a woman when she knows that her nest is secure. Do I have a woman in the house that will wave at me and let your husband know? It's important that he worked. It's important that he takes care of those things. She, and, and he needs to know how important that is to her. Another thing that God has given us that most of us really don't want, and that is patience. Patience will keep you humble. Do I have a friend in the house. There's something about don't ever pray for patience because I promise you things will begin to happen to such a degree that you will say, whoa, God, slow down. I really don't want to be that patient. Hello. I was, I was um, in the store one day this week, and the guy in front of me, uh, he bought like two or three scratch-offs, and uh, I noticed that I was behind him, and it wasn't a big deal. I was getting the guys a Red Bull, and I wasn't in a hurry. And uh, after, after he bought them, he, right there on the counter, he took his quarter, and he began to, he began to scratch it off. And, and uh, I said, you win anything? He goes, no, I never do. But he's impatient. I mean, if he went and got a job and made $10 an hour, there's a possibility that one day he would have a nest egg and be able to retire. Hello. But some of us just don't have patience. The next thing that God wants you to know is that he desires to communicate with you the same ingredient in creation is the same ingredient in your relationship with him. I will prove it to you. He breathed upon the nostrils, and man became a living soul. Jesus appeared in the upper room to the eleven, and he breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Ghost. There's something about the breath of God that's extraordinary, that is phenomenal, that is awesome. 
when Adam and Eve did what they were supposed to do, name the animals, name, the, name all of that, the Bible says that every day God came around in the cool of the evening. That word cool there is breath of God. God would breathe quality time that he wanted to spend with his children. And God wants to talk to you. Believe it or not, God is not a King James God. God is a NIV God. God wants to... Sp- God wants to speak to you in a language you understand, not necessarily in the these and the thous. And I've shared with Pastor Rhonda and I've shared with this congregation that younger in life, I committed about 3,000 scriptures to memory from the King James. I love it. It's poetic. I realize that it's not necessarily the language that we uh, talk today, but I'm, I'm stuck. I'm not going to now memorize NIV or the, me- uh, that's just where I'm at. I love, I love what the word of God says, but God wants to talk to you. And if you feel like he's not talking to you, then get a translation. You can understand you're not backsliding. You're not being a hypocrite. Get a Bible. You understand. And it never hurts to read it. Wow. There was a couple in my life. They're no longer in my life. They went through a horrible, horrible, horrible divorce, but they came to me broken, wanting to receive some help. So I gave the husband a book, uh, probably a book on how to be a better husband or how to love your wife. I forgot what book it was. And he said, well, he said, I I really don't read all that well. However, the next week he bought like a $300,000 track hoe and got the manual. And Gene, he knew every little piddly gadget, button, whistle that thing had. It's funny. He could read a manual how to operate a piece of dirt equipment, but he couldn't read a manual how to be a better husband. Here's what I said. I said, well, if you can't read, just put it by the bedside open, and she'll think that you're reading it, and maybe that will help you. Well, they got in a big old fight, and he told her what I told him to do. Well, it took about six months to heal that relationship, but God... (laughs) But God, and I, obviously it's not healed now. They went on and they're doing their own thing, and I'm I'm not a part of any of that. And that's all that's all well of good. But God wants you to know that He hears you, and God wants you to know that He will respond to you. He will speak to you. Sometimes it's a nudge. Sometimes it's through a song. Sometimes it's through a proverb or a psalm. But God does speak to His children. The second blessing that God wants you to have is peace of mind. Peace. Of mine. He wants you to, that head to hit the pillow at the end of the day, not overwrought, not anxious. Uh, because of a broken back, my, my doctor prescribed a, um, I forgot what, it's not a drug, but it's something to help my, help my back to sleep. And what was it? Help the inflammation. I forgot the whole reason while I was sharing the story. It had to be some, oh, peace of mind, okay? Obviously, forget that story. That story had nothing to do with this message. But God wants us to have peace. And uh, I like what the eagle's saying. I've got a peaceful, easy feeling. I know you won't let me down because I'm already standing on solid ground. And that's the Lord's song to you. I want you to have, in this world you shall have tribulation, but in me you shall have peace. And the last thing that God wants you to have is, is rest. And that is the area, as Josh spoke today, as Carmen spoke today, to know that we're doing what God wants us to do, to know we're where God wants us to be, and we're okay with that. We're okay with that. We know who we are in Christ. Yesterday on the radio, there was a song by The Who, and the song was asking the question, Who are you? Who, 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 who? Anyway, I'm sure they sang it better than I just sang it. But I got to thinking about that. Who are, who are you? Are you a Native American Indian? Are you a Scorpio? 
Uh, are you a left-handed? Are Who actually are you? And when you begin to see what the Bible says, who you are, all of a sudden your heart, not necessarily your chest, your heart begins to swell up with pride, and then you begin to declare, I am loved. The three areas of your life that you desperately need God's help in, obviously, is God. The second area of your life is friends. Friends will help you. Henry Cloud wrote a book called The Power of the Other. I would recommend that everybody would read that, read that book. It's a powerful story. It talks about how God puts people in your life to embrace you, to enhance you, to motivate you, to encourage you, and sometimes to trash you. David said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Let me tell you something. The guy that sells me Red Bull over the counter can't hurt my feelings. The clerk at Walmart that sells me a hunting license, they can't hurt my feelings. The waitress there at, at Fazio's, they can't, they can't hurt my feelings because I don't allow them to get close to me. But when I lower the wall and allow you in to be my friend, then, then we're going to do things that are going to hurt one another and fend one another and disappoint one another. And that what relationship is all about is seeing the bad in people, but yet still being their friend, letting them know that you're accountable. Let them know if you hurt their feelings, I'm sorry. God wants you to be happy with what you're doing and who you are. I remember a story, and um, I won't tell you if you don't like your job, get another job. I mean, that, that's kind of common sense. If you don't like what you're doing, find something that you can do better. And do that, but I got to thinking about a guy that there was a, a pretty rowdy, pretty rowdy bar in uh, Texas, Dallas, Texas, and there was a lot of fighting, and there was a lot of drunkenness, and there was a lot of stuff going on, and one of the bodyguards had got injured, and so they decided they need to hire another bodyguard, another another uh, bouncer, and so this tall, scrawny kid from Tennessee applied for the job. And the manager of the bar looked at him and said, you know what, I appreciate your willingness to do this job. I'm going to tell you something, you're not, you're not, I don't, I don't think you're tough enough. We've got some big old boys in here, and when they get drunk, they are, they're pretty rowdy, they're pretty tough. And the, the boy from Tennessee said, sir, I'm tough too. Let me tell you what happened a few months ago. I was plowing the back 40 with the bush hog. I hit a rock and fell off the tractor, and my arm fell in the bush hog and cut my arm off. But I knew my dad would be unhappy if I didn't finish the 40 acres. So I took some duct tape and I taped my arm back on and I finished the 40 acres. And the Texan manager looked at him and said, man, you are tough. You are rough. You've got the job. And the boy from Tennessee said, all right. <laughs> I have two minutes to conclude. And after that, I'm probably not going to do very much of of a conclusion there's there's something special about your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend there's something special about them finding a special quality and a special uh, just a special area of your life and complimenting on that there's just something special about that and uh, I believe if God has a wallet I believe my picture's in it I believe that today God is bragging on me. I believe God is telling angels about me. And I believe God is sending angels, ministering spirits. Jacob fell asleep, saw a stairway leading into heaven. Angels going up, angels coming down. Several times in Scripture, the Bible says they're ministering spirits. When you were born, you were assigned an angel that stays with you, watches over you. And this morning, regardless of where you think you are in life, God sees that diamond in the rough. 
God's, God's, God sees that prehistoric dinosaur. God sees what you can become and what you're becoming. And no matter where you are on this walk, your God is bragging on you. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for this moment, this season, this, this time together. We thank you that we came in and we worshiped you and the kids led us in worship. And uh, we